podcast is sponsored by the hair care brand System Professional. It's all about making your approach to hair care personal. We spend so much time investing in our skincare, so surely we should do the same for our hair care. What you do is take their energy code test to get a hair diagnosis bespoke to your hair. And from that test, they then tell you which products to mix and match to tackle your own hair concerns. With over 262 million combinations possible, it's really the expert way to better hair days. To find out more and try the energy code test, visit systemprofessional.com. Welcome to the Sherlock's Highlights podcast with me, Charlotte Collins. This week, I'm joined by Ashley Carter, Rosie Sherrington, and Georgina Blasky. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hi. Well, I'm going to start today by talking about Queer Eye. It's back. Well, I was going to say I'm excited. I'm not just excited. I'm already halfway through. Really? How yes. many episodes Well, I had a few long train journeys this weekend, so it was quite good binge time. I think there's eight, again, in this new series. I've watched three, so like nearly halfway through. And the first one is such a tearjerker. Like, if anyone thought that season one was emotional, season two is, like, a whole new level. Oh, God. I cried at every single episode in the first season. I mean, Am I going to need some tissues? You will be hysterical in the first <laughs> oh, episode. No. It's so good that it's a woman, and it's one of those women who's just, like, so kind and loving and helps everyone. And it's actually a really deep episode. Like, they delve a lot into religion, and, like, Bobby in particular, who grew up in a really religious family, but then when he came out as gay, had to really step away from that. He deals with a lot of his issues in, and demons in this one, and it's amazing. I've never watched it. Oh, oh my God. I've heard about it, I've seen the billboards, and I haven't watched it. Where do I find it? It's on Netflix. It's just a makeover show, really, yeah. but it's with five gay guys, and they're each responsible for something different, so they make over somebody's entire life, whether it's, like, their beauty routine or their interiors you know they really kind of give them like a full MOT in America in America particularly in the deep south so there's a real kind of political slant to a lot of it as well it's not just this really kind of vacuous surface level makeover they deal with a lot of like in the first series they meet these men who you know a lot of them otherwise would never have come into contact with a gay man before and at the beginning they kind of none of them are like homophobic or anything like that they're apprehensive apprehensive but by the end they're like they're genuine friends it's so so sweet there's like so many tears shared yeah. oh, did you see the original series when it was Queer Eye for the Straight Guy no. it was in the I never saw it I know it was, quite, it was big but not as like on any scale no this. This is, these guys have like blown up they've yeah, got millions of Instagram followers yeah, yeah and really it, it just used to be straight men they'd make over and now it's straight men gay men and women you say in yeah, the new series so it's women I mean, she deserves it. She's fabulous, but it's amazing. I cannot recommend it enough. So the other thing that I've been watching is called Champions. It's on Netflix. I mean, it's pretty vacuous, but you know those really good shows like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt where you just need some like really light relief for half an hour? It's produced and written by Mindy Kaling and she guest stars. And for anyone who liked The Mindy Project, it's like The Mindy Project 2.0. It's really silly. It's about a mega camp 15-year-old Indian boy who just finds out who his real father is and he owns this gym. He's like a proper kind of old school jock and they have to live together in New York. It's as kind of campy and silly as it sounds but it's a good way to kill half an hour obviously we're all still addicted to Love Island Rosie you've been listening to not the Love Island podcast with Kem no this is the unofficial new Love Island podcast it's called Love's a Beach and it's by two female psychologists who also happen to be best friends and it delves into the characters psyches kind of motivations behind their actions and it's actually really really funny I wasn't sure what to expect, started listening to it, was laughing within the first few minutes. 
they have like a really great banter between them and it's actually really fascinating is it quite insightful yeah so they were talking all about attachment theories I know in the podcast before we spoke about how your relationship with your dad can affect your love life it's kind of that vibe like why are they acting like they do Mm -hmm. why is you know one person getting really jealous why is one person acting quite aloof and presumably like how much do they know about these people's backgrounds are they just kind of speculating I think so they're kind of talking about the situation and then they'll make it more general rather than kind of trying mm-hmm. to psychoanalyze them from behind a screen. Okay. And like pinning things onto them. Yeah, so they don't pin things onto them. I think it's a great thing to listen to because it's so general. You can learn about yourself from it and your own kind of yeah. life. Yeah, you can start so, saying, oh, my friend has that trait. I can yeah. realize they've got some attachment. It's, it's very interesting. <laughs> so there's a new episode each week and it will look back at the past week's highlights. Um, they said they've got issues to do with body image and things coming up. So... Stay tuned. Cool. And what's it called? Love's a Beach. It's on iTunes. Mm, great. I'm going to be listening to that. Ke- I tried to give Kem's one a go. It's maybe not quite so insightful. Is it not good? <laughs> it's the daily, yeah, it's the Kem. Kem is the winner from last year. Yeah. And it's the daily roundup of stuff that happened the night before. Is it just him? When is that? No, it's another girl as well who's is not it? a Love Island contestant. She's like a presenter. It's not the Scottish guy. Why did I think it was no, him? The narrator. Yeah. He is the funniest man. He is. Well, he's probably quite busy. So, <laughs> yeah. She got Chris on it. I know. I wish it was Chris. That would be great. This week marks the 20th anniversary of Sex in the City. I know I, for one, am a complete obsessive. Astrid, will you be celebrating the 20th anniversary? Of course, Charlotte. You do not have to ask me that. We have <laughs> met Carrie ourselves. Yeah, we actually have. Oh my God, you met her? Yes. We met her. Where? It was just the best day of my life. It was life. The, literally the best <laughs> oh, day of my life. So it's probably better than what Charlotte's wedding's going to be. Yeah, literally. <laughs> um, I agree. <laughs> can, she get, can you get her to your wedding? I might try, you know. We got, we really bonded. We she might really come. bonded. Did you get um, a selfie? Yeah, we yeah, got a selfie. I think she it's like my most liked picture today. Me too, apart from when I got engaged. She was so nice, wasn't she? She was the nicest. Literally. Like, she really lived up to all the years of watching Carrie, yeah. Georgina, were you into it at the time? Oh my god, I completely remember watching the first episode and seeing those opening credits and just going, a woman is walking down the road in a tutu in broad daylight, this is insane. And then she trips, doesn't she? And then the music, the way the music kind of mirrors her falling over and I just loved it and even now if I hear the music I could just sort of can feel a smile creeping on my face mm. and I just want to watch it it's the show I can watch the most on repeat and not get bored of like there's always something new every time like whether it's like somebody's outfit that you hadn't noticed before or somewhere cool in New York like you can still go to it for recommendations do you remember when they finished the series before they did the films and Patricia Fields held like a kind of yard sale or whatever and you could go and buy all the costumes <gasps> oh, from Sex and City obviously the actors like MSJP and Kim Cattrall etc chose the bits that they really wanted and like the icon pieces of the show but yeah you could go and buy the wardrobe of Sex and City oh, that, that would be my advice yeah. yeah so yeah. sad I, the first time I went to New York one of the first places I went was to the Patricia Field store really yeah and I bought like they sell like the Carrie necklaces and stuff in there Jeez. love so that did you go to Carrie's stoop I actually this is so embarrassing now I'm gonna sound so lame I actually went on a Sex and City tour because I was 19 and it was like my first time in America I was like oh, I'm, I'm in it no but it was <laughs> and I got a, a cupcake from Magnolia's Bakery. Classic. Saw the stoop. Wasn't allowed to drink a Cosmo because I was 19. <laughs> Great tour. Oh, <laughs> had to be to wait. They went into a bar. I think it was the bar. Who was it that owns a bar that she Aiden. dates? It was, yeah, it was that it's bar. And we had to stand outside um, with a chaperone oh, right. while everyone else went in. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, Great tour. Great. Yes, sounds it. Any favourite moments that really stand out for you? Oh, so many. I actually think it's from the Sex and City film, the first one. Mm-hmm. That's this really sweet bit when Miranda's on her own at, on New Year's Eve yeah, it's the film. and Carrie she's at home as well watching she's news. actually asleep 
asleep at that point. Oh, but she's, yeah. asleep. she's asleep. Anyway, she gets a call. <laughs> Does she get a call from Miranda? Yeah, she calls and she wakes her up. Yeah, she gets a call from Miranda and Miranda's like all alone and really upset because it's New Year's Eve. And Carrie, she's like in her pyjamas, but she puts on this like sequin hat and heels, obviously. And she goes in like the six inches of snow or whatever it is to see her friend on New Year's Eve, which is really sweet. Yeah, that's really sweet. Crazy. I really like the bit where Miranda fancies a sandwich. Georgina. <laughs> I love when they're having brunch. Yeah. And, every, and they were talking so freely yeah. about so many things that should have been kind of R-rated mm. loudly in the middle of their brunch stop. And I always thought that was so free and amazing, like so honest with each other, but also the fact that they were just sitting there and they didn't give a shit mm. who could hear them. I think that's the thing. Like, you know, I sit there watching it in 2018. I, I was only really around kind of for the end of it kind of live. And, you know, but you'll sit rewatch it and things are still completely shocking now even though we should be kind of so desensitised these things so I can only imagine what impact it had when it was first being produced and some of the stuff that they were saying and the things they were doing like that must yeah. have been completely liberating yeah it was so groundbreaking yeah, yeah completely I mean, my mum wouldn't let me watch it though when I was younger whenever yeah. it came on she'd like turn off the TV yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well my favourite bits were always the ones where they left the city so obviously I love the New York scenes but I love the bits when they're in LA I love the final two episodes in Paris like they just had that aesthetic so down mm. and bits in the Hamptons as well they're, they're good at setting a scene aren't they Let's talk about hiring professional bridesmaids. Sounds like a movie, doesn't it? But it's a thing. On paper, your wedding should be the happiest day of your life. But when you factor in juggling friendship groups, in-laws and family feuds, the reality can look a little different. Enter the professional bridesmaid. Rosie, what is their role exactly? Well, it sounds kind of like the best friend that you want who doesn't have an actual job to go to. So (laughs) all the stuff that a lot of brides pile onto their bridesmaids without the stress of your friend actually getting annoyed with you because you're paying them. So it sounds like... I guess quite a good idea for the bridezillas among us. The trend is kind of credited back to Jen Glantz, who lives in New York. She came up with the concept in 2014 when I think her flatmate joked that she'd been so many people's bridesmaids in a row. She's like, well, you should start charging. And she's like, actually, I'm going to. So that same evening, she posted an ad on Gumtree, woke up the next day to over 250 emails. And by the next year, she managed to quit her full-time job. And that's what she does now. She runs a really successful business. Insane. I know I'm not that close to my wedding. I've still got a year to go, but I don't really understand. She says that she is acting for people as an on-call therapist, virtual assistant, social director, peacekeeper. I don't really understand, like, how awful are these brides being that they need somebody to do all of those things? I certainly don't have any need for anything Well, she does like that. say that some of them have kind of five or six bridesmaids, other ones don't have any close friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, maybe they've grown apart and lost their support system, or maybe they're getting married abroad and they don't know anyone. Mm-hmm. So I think that's quite nice. And her services range from 900 quid, and that's a virtual bridesmaid. So you can call her, email her, and she'll provide you some advice and a shoulder to cry on. Or her top package is 2,300, and that will even include her walking you down the aisle if needed and dancing with an uncle. I mean, <laughs> and if she's part of a group of bridesmaids, is she undercover, or do the other bridesmaids know that she's like the hired bridesmaid? Well, it's a mix of both, apparently. Sometimes she's had people ask her to lie, and they'll have to come up with this backstory and she said once she did two weddings in one day and almost modelled the two up yeah Yeah. oh my god imagine Um, but now it's come to the UK so the UK has their very own professional bridesmaid called Tiffany Wright who's based in Chelsea and her business the Undercover 
bridesmaid is doing really really well it's um, just mad I mean on one hand for people that don't have many close friends I guess it's a nice support to have but it's also like really sad it makes me feel really really, really sad, sad when but I then, read this on I the just... other hand if it's someone that's just needs a professional bridesmaid because they're so demanding like yeah. but wouldn't you rather they kind then... of sound like a really terrible <laughs> yeah. person so it's like it's bridging the gap between your wedding planner and your yeah. bridesmaid who might actually be quite busy with their own life yeah mm. but then why not just hire a PA or someone who yeah. doesn't then stand yeah. in the dress in all your pictures because <laughs> you look back at all true. your photos you'll never see them again you just need someone there but then look at Meghan Markle who didn't have any grown-up bridesmaids had lots of little bridesmaids and just had friends around her who were obviously helping her and obviously a bit of help from the palace <laughs> but I just felt really sad yeah and I just sad. don't get the backstory how that's gonna work because my friend to... none of you have ever met exactly before. you never heard of her actually but we're really close yeah and she's exactly I had to choose basically between having no bridesmaids and having five and I did because you know I couldn't choose between those five I didn't want that many but I settled on that because I thought well whatever you only do it once so nice to have your friends with you but I wouldn't have felt unhappy to have had none as the alternative like I was very much like considering that as a viable alternative I don't really get the big deal I don't know if it's like something that people see on Instagram or in films and they think they should be having xyz but I don't well, it's... think it's that big a deal to just like no. not have a bridesmaid it doesn't mean you don't have friends also I've been a bridesmaid a couple of times and there are some bits that you know are a bit tricky to work out but mm. the majority of it's just nice mm. yeah it's not like I mean I feel like these brides are very demanding yeah who are these brides but it's funny you mentioned Instagram Charlotte because Tiffany Wright did say it's all to do with social media she was mm. like because of social media it's no longer just about having a fun day everything has to look perfect online and I think when you're stressing on the day and you want those perfect Instagram shots you gotta that's get true it. I will rely on my yeah. friends to get the insta pics for my exactly. wedding but do they all have the same colour hair because didn't you say <laughs> oh that she had God. been asked to consider dyeing her hair brown yeah so I asked match her the what's the kind of biggest request she's had from a bridezilla and um, well she didn't use the term bridezilla here just FYI <laughs> she said that she She's working with one bride at the moment who's asked her to dye her hair brown so that she matched the other bridesmaids in the bridal party. I mean, I really hope she's paying her a lot of money. Like, I think if I was that professional bridesmaid, I'd be like, sure, for this amount. Yeah, and, and you can book the salon. And yeah. it's going to be somebody, <laughs> somebody decent. Somebody really amazing. Yeah. I think she did say that. She's going to pay for the highlights after. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Oh my God, going back to normal. Oh. Wow. Well, okay. I think we're all in agreement then that... Maybe not the best of it, but if there are any bridezillas listening, then all of Jen and Tiffany's details are on the website. Let's talk about feminism. Writer and academic Jermaine Greer is in the headlines once again for her divisive comments, and this time she's called for rape punishments to be reduced. Jermaine Greer was once held up as a real kind of pin-up for the feminist movement. What's gone wrong, Rosie? So I'm sure a lot of people have heard these comments. They made a lot of headlines. She was speaking at the Hay Literary Festival and said that most cases of rape are, in fact, just bad sex. She said that most rapes don't involve any injury whatsoever, that rape isn't a spectacularly violent crime, but just lazy, careless and insensitive. She also questioned a statistic that suggested 70% of rape victims suffer post-traumatic stress disorder compared with 20% of conflict veterans. And she said, what the hell are you saying? Something that leaves no sign, no injury, no nothing is more damaging to a woman than seeing your best friend blown up by an IED. So yeah, people are mad. I found the most surprising reading this piece is that 
she herself, I didn't know this, she was raped when she was 18 yes. and didn't report it to the police. So does that give her more of a leg to stand on, that she's actually been through this herself? I mean, something that people have said about Greer over and over again is that she is just very self-serving. And I think because of her own experience and how she felt about it, she then assumes that everyone else will feel the same. And obviously they don't. I think that's one of the main criticisms of this. I mean, if she didn't have post-traumatic stress disorder, then great. But I mean, a lot of women do. And they've been very vocal about it on social media. Is there any way of defending what she said? You know, can, can it be rationalised at all? Well, I mean, it did come in the context of her arguing how our current legal system isn't working effectively and people aren't being prosecuted for rape, hence why she suggested it should be seen as a non-violent crime and that instead of making witnesses sit for hours and hours and be kind of interrogated, that we should just trust women but I definitely don't agree that the only way to do that is to reduce the punishment for rape and she's suggesting cutting down to community service community service and a little R tattooed on their hand which I think she was making as a joke but was taken (laughs) seriously In Sweden, they have the highest number of rapes reported in Europe. But actually, what that seems to reflect is the willingness of victims to come forward, who feel comfortable and able to come forward. And this is linked to differentiating between violent rape by a stranger somewhere compared to someone having non-consensual sex. Perhaps the victim's asleep or they've drunk too much and they have different kinds of rape, which I've heard her talk about in a Me Too debate that I went to. What she did say in that, I mean, she got a bit booed down by the audience, but what she did say was how important it is to educate men. And I feel like as a mother of a boy and a girl, it's so important that my children understand when they're going to university, thinking about campus rape and things like that, that my daughter understands that no means no and she's got her rights. But actually, I feel it's almost more important to educate my son that he really does understand the difference and the boundaries because it's got to be just completely clear to everybody. And I think the more that it is talked about, the more hope there is that there will be less victims of rape because everyone will be clear on what non-consensual sex means. The thing is, if it's working for Sweden, that's great. But I think classing rapes as different types of rape is very dangerous in a way. I know maybe it's encouraged women to come forward there, but there's definitely been cases of people here not coming forward and feeling ashamed because they're like, well, my rape wasn't that bad. It wasn't a violent rape, but still really suffering from the consequences. So I think they do need to change, but I think rape should just be rape. And then anything on top of that should carry an additional sentence. So if you rape someone and you kidnap them, that's rape and abduction and then violence on top. But I think rape in itself is an act of violence and kind of terming it as something not, I think, is bad. I'm not sure they're terming it as something not. not. I think they're just, it means that if a husband's forcing a wife to have sex when she doesn't feel like it, then that counts as forcing someone to have sex and not just, oh, I don't feel like it tonight, darling. Well, we're going to have sex anyway. So I don't think they're lessening that it's rape. I think they're just classifying it in different ways. I see. So it helps people come forward. But kind of going back to what you were just saying, if you do have a no means no absolute blanket rule, then it does stop the lines being blurred and you know then a husband knows not to do that and a stranger knows not to do that and then it's just kind of an easier one size fits all I think the danger in her comments you know we've still got a long way to go as society in terms of rape and the judicial system and the punishments but at least people are coming forward more than they were at least people are talking about it 
there's been this whole Me Too movement. And for her to kind of talk about rape in such a frivolous way is, I think, where the danger lies. So can we still call her a feminist? I think the damaging thing about labelling her, I mean, obviously she is a feminist if she believes in equal rights for men and women, but the damaging thing about her being seen as part of the feminist movement is that it is going to exclude a lot of people, especially young women who weren't raised in the same time, really don't share these views. And that would be a real shame, I think, if she was to deter people, if they were like, this is what feminism is about, well, I'm not into that. The story of Anna Delvey may seem far-fetched. She was a mysterious German heiress living a luxury life in NYC, funded by her family's money. But actually, it all turned out to be an elaborate scheme, conning people out of huge sums of money and staying in hotels, eating in restaurants and dancing at clubs that she certainly can't afford. She's now awaiting trial in prison and her story is going to be turned into a movie because it's that unrealistic. Astrid, this isn't the craziest story, right? Every now and again, these kind of stories come around and most of the time they get made into movies. <laughs> and most of the time, Vice Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did. I didn't love it. No, I, I do love it. I'm a big Apollo fan. But... It's a good story. That was the one about the group of teenagers. Was that with Emma Watson? Yeah, yeah. And, they, and they stole from loads of celebrities' houses. Yeah. But when I come across these characters, I always think, you know, what could they have achieved if they'd used their intelligence yeah. She's obviously a really clever, smart, very manipulative girl. So um, true. What could she have done if she'd used her talents in good ways? So like she could have probably been hugely successful yeah. and probably led a life not too dissimilar to this short-lived one. She thought she was trying to do that, which is the weirdest thing. So this whole scam, apparently the aim of it was to set up this Soho House Group-inspired big members club in the most fashionable district of New York. Um, she was very, very close to securing a $22 million dollar loan from City National Bank and it was only when they realised one of the documents was false that her whole thing began to unravel but she claims that this is why she had the scheme in the first place. And it's so brazen. She said if I really wanted the money I would have better and faster ways to get some. Resilience is hard to come by but not capital. Like exactly, she's claiming that it was like a kind of business endeavour as opposed to just some kind of weird you know, money grabbing scheme but the things that she did were just insane you know, things like $7,000 a night Riyadh in Marrakesh actually that was one that ended up having serious repercussions because she took along a friend who's a photo editor at Vanity Fair and obviously Anna Delvey's credit card didn't work so this friend ended up putting $62,000 on her company credit card which obviously now she can't pay back I mean this woman's like ruining people's lives on top of trying to get money out of corporations what she was doing was hugely wrong but quite sophisticated like it turned out that Delvey had already deposited hundreds of thousands of dollars in phony checks I mean that is brazen and yeah. How she, she deposits to... them and then withdraws the money before the banks realise they bounce, and she did it with different banks. So you have to do it with a different bank yeah. every time, basically. Because people are wondering, how the hell did she fool all these people? Well, it's because she had all this cash, and people said, well, she only ever paid in cash, and I didn't question it, because she was paying for all of my meals, all of my drinks. She'd go around handing out $100 tips to Uber drivers, anyone in a restaurant. She managed to just trick people by, you know, turning up in these big Celine sunglasses with a kind of attitude, and she, she was saying at this boutique hotel in New York, managed to convince them that not to take a card on file and she was staying there for I think it was months mm. and when they started to question her she would send the staff cases of vintage Dom Perignon and would just swan around like Rihanna I think one of the girls 
I kind of respect and love yeah. that she did that because to, in this day and age with internet banking and the way that things can be chased down so quickly, I just think it's absolutely insane that she got away with it for so long. And you kind of think if you cheat the system and manage to get away with it, then you would k- probably keep going if you're that kind of person. So obviously the thrill was enough to keep her moving forward. It reminds me of Catch Me If You Can. You know? Yeah. 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 It's kind of an insight into, you know, people always say, like, what would you do if you weren't scared? Like, yeah, maybe we would all be a bit more <laughs> like her. Like, that is really damn brazen and you know obviously she's going to pay for it now she's probably going to spend the rest of her life in prison but you know she had her fun while it lasted I also love the fact that because obviously there's meant to be a film that's coming out well no is there just is it just rumour Anna said that people have contacted her and I'm not sure if they bought the rights or they're making offers for the rights to the film but one is definitely in the works so she's still making money from prison (laughs) (laughs) but what I loved about this is because she knows that there may be a film made about her she's hoping that Jennifer Lawrence or Margot Robbie will play her (laughs) I mean is she completely delusional or is she, she is, but kind or, of in the most brilliant I way think, I think Jennifer Lawrence would nail that a hundred percent I can definitely see either of them in that role yeah when High Street Soap Store Lush launched their new campaign hashtag spy cops I don't think even they would have predicted the controversy it would have caused it was aiming to highlight the current undercover policing inquiry, a government-backed probe into alleged instances of undercover police overstepping the mark to infiltrate the lives of activists. But what it meant was windows in stores across the country being plastered with large posters of a police officer with a caption, paid to lie, alongside the hashtag, hashtag spy cops, and faux police tape reading, police have crossed the line. This is a really brazen political statement from a soap store, let's be honest, that's what they are. Do we need that from our high street stores? Do we expect that? Or do we want it at all? Georgina? Well, I remember when I was a teenager walking into the body shop and they would have sort of anti-vivisection pictures around and it was really political, more than it is now. And Benetton billboards advertising AIDS campaigns and all the healthcare that was needed around that and the money that needed to be raised. So I think there is a history of high street stores having political views and I think that it's a brilliant way to bring campaigns to people's attention that can otherwise get missed. However, I'm not sure about this one, I've got to be honest. Where this differentiates from the Body Shop campaign was that Body Shop was all about cruelty-free product, whereas this, to me, just feels a little bit distant from the core message about Lush's products Mm -hmm. and what they do and and actually who they're appealing to because lots of young children buy their products Mm -hmm. and they go in and have parties there and things, so I didn't quite see how it was linked to their core customer base. I think the difference is that there are some issues that are black and white, so what the policeman did in this case is obviously completely wrong. Doing an anti-police paid to lie campaign is really kind of inciting a lot of hatred against our police force which we don't necessarily need on our high streets does that make sense yeah Yeah, it definitely makes sense I think the way the campaign was executed wasn't good I don't think it made it clear enough but you know you see a picture of a policeman in a hat in a store with the caption paid to lie you don't know the message and Lush did say they had people coming in the store and asking and obviously it's made so many headlines which is great press for the campaign I just think it could have been done in a slightly different way I think a lot of people have accused them of, you know, go back to selling bath bombs. Um, but Lush has always had a history of activism. They do these big campaigns every year. And I think the reason why this one was actually so close to home for them is because the activists that the policemen 
spied on and had children with. They infiltrated all these non-violent organisations and I think Lush did have connections to them. So I definitely think it was a relevant thing for them. But again, the posters in the windows, I definitely think after everything recently that our police have done, like the terror attack, it's insensitive. Yeah, I think also a company like Lush or any of those kind of big conglomerates, really familiar names on the high street, you'd think that the people in positions of power are powerful enough and influential enough that if they have some kind of you know issue like this, they could take it to a higher cause. So I understand wanting to put something out into the public domain, but it seems overly provocative for something they probably could have dealt with in a kind of more discreet way. And I also actually didn't get the posters. I thought it was advertising a police show on TV. <laughs> I honestly did. I obviously didn't read it close enough, but I thought I saw it a few times and I, I until I read around it, I didn't actually understand what it yeah, was me about. Too. I think we're all in agreement that it was very badly executed. Do you think you could be influenced by High Street Store kind of putting out a political message? Yeah, definitely, yeah. I think if the store agreed with the store's beliefs, what I really hate now is brands that are kind of jumping on bandwagons like, oh, the body positivity bandwagon, let's do a big campaign about that when their whole history as a brand has been very anti that and I think it feels quite insincere and like they're trying to cash in. But I think brands that genuinely stand for something and have always pushed out a message mm-hmm. like Benetton, like The Body Shop, I think definitely that's appreciated. I'm really surprised to hear you say that you would be influenced by brands in that way. Is that because they're brands that you respect and you trust or is it because they might be putting a cause that wasn't on your radar into the spotlight? Like I can't imagine looking at a shop window and unless it was something I'd never heard of, feeling more kind of incited to do something just because it was in a you know a brand's window. Yeah, I, I don't mean it in a sense that I would just walk past and think, oh, I'll give that a go. As we've discussed today, Lush's execution didn't really work, but it really made me interested in this case and you know that's why we wrote the piece on it and me and Rosie actually had a discussion about whether we should run a piece on this because I was like I don't really get it I don't know why Lush are talking about the police what is this but actually when you dig deeper down it's a pretty awful thing that they did but to me that's kind of the danger of it because so I was really aware of this case it's it's been quite big news I feel the danger is that they're putting out a really surface obviously you are an interested person so you're going to go away and you're going to look it up and you're going to research it and get your facts but my worry is that for people who are just seeing that kind of surface level thing in a brand window are just going to take it at quite a face value and not really kind of learn the details that's not to say that it's not abhorrent what happened but it just worries me that it's a slippery slope and that brands can start influencing people who aren't fully informed so there's lots of brands that support individual charities and champion campaigns such as baby brands that might be linked to helping raise money for small genetic disorders things that can slip under the radar that aren't big charities and I think that's where brands have the ability and perhaps a corporate responsibility to take those on and then you know not to go on about it but coming back to the body shop I do remember as a teenager walking past and seeing those kind of images and a week later my denim jacket was festooned in badges for Greenpeace and against nuclear weapons and anything to do with animal cruelty so I think it can be really effective but it's just got to be done properly and not just jump on a bandwagon of a news story and I get a bit worried that Lush shop assistant's going to get lynched by someone who's really angry yeah they had to issue a statement because people were going into the shops and asking them to take down the posters and they were going into shops and being quite rude to them and they had to take some measures to protect some of their staff wow. yeah. and a lot of staff did actually just take down the posters even before asking head of management because they were so worried about their kind of and abuse guess, they were going to receive and I guess they couldn't call the police <laughs> <laughs> from policing to plastic we all know we're guilty of using far too much disposable plastic and there's been a real push this year to decrease our plastic consumption Astrid I know you've made a real concerted effort since January to cut back on plastic usage well it was more water bottles and I, as I sit here well, with water bottle in front of me. <laughs> this is actually tap water 
I filled it up. Good. And I really do try and not buy bottled water because it is completely pointless. We live in a country that has clean water on tap all the time. Charlotte's making faces at me now. And I genuinely think that London tap water tastes great. Really? Yeah. I don't think it tastes horrible if at all. If you drink a sip of bottled water and then you drink a sip of tap water... It makes you want to be sick. Yeah. But you can get those water bottles that have built-in oh, filtration. Yeah. yeah. You just get one of those charcoal filters. Mm. So it's like countless things you can do I think we could all be a little bit better in how many water bottles we buy and it's so easy once you get into the habit of it it's easy and that's it it's just a habit whether you're buying too many or being conscious not to buy mm-hmm. so they've started in my kids school that they have all got their own reusable water bottle like a love island bottle <laughs> well actually you know what just take my word the only person in the country not watching love island I don't know what that means it's a, it's a love island bottle <laughs> but yeah so they um, actually they have kind of those metal ones but they take them in and the idea is the kids have to wash them up every day and they fill them up with clean water and they used to have jugs with plastic cups that would then be used new cups every day so they've stopped it so obviously every child has access to water if they don't have their water bottle but it's brilliant at this really young age they're just getting them straight on board with London tap water (laughs) and making it part of normal life that you just reuse a water bottle Mm -hmm. I have a problem with supermarkets though if you're doing a weekly shop and you want to get various different fresh food everything is packaged Mm -hmm. it's really hard to find things that aren't I'm lucky to have a really lovely local greengrocer and I've basically completely stopped buying fruit and veg at the supermarket because that's such an easy change to make if you are able to get hold of fruit and veg that isn't in plastic produce particularly if you do an online shop as well every single item comes in its own plastic bag and then it's in plastic packaging with cardboard and its own plastic you know shell and it also means that you have to buy you know six tomatoes what if you just want three yes like it's so, so annoying i need to buy garlic on saturday i had to buy a whole bag massive yeah. bag of garlic with like 15 bulbs in it and that's only perpetuating waste as yeah. well because then you end up using things that you don't necessarily need if you don't want to go to the supermarket i was looking up there's a website called reusable and they deliver to your door and the first time you order you get beautiful glass kind of kiln jars and it's got all your grains and pulses and obviously store cupboard things and then when you want to refill they come with the refill which you put back into the same jar I love that so they come with like a bag like a sack of rice or something well I'm guessing whatever plastic ones so <laughs> yeah. I don't know maybe the man has to re-come in and refill from his sack fresh from the farm yeah I'm imagining some like you know vintage yarn sack or something yeah. that sounds really really clever what about coffee cups as well I know that is the other big change that we're all supposed to be making I mean I actually make my coffee at home and take it with me when I leave the house I don't really buy coffee out well Starbucks have also recently started an incentive to offer for customers with reusable cups 25p off their drink and they also sell reusable cups for a pound I mean that is nothing like. also prep started doing these branded like kind of thermos bottles they're 20 pounds but then you can go into prep stores and get I think there's like four juices on a menu and you can fill them up cool yeah. for free wow. or just I for think no, it must be discounted yeah. that's amazing that's instead of buying that. like the you know the ginger one that everyone gets or the yeah. orange or whatever yeah that's really cool that's good and prep along with Costa and Paul will give you 50p off your hot drink so double Starbucks and if you go to Cafe Nero you'll get double loyalty stamps too if you bring your own cup and lots of independent coffee shops are doing it too there's one near our offices and I do see people almost on a daily basis taking their own cups so obviously the mindset's changing which is good and you can feel it can't you like I'm not a kind of plastic militant but my mindset has completely been changed in the last six months the other thing that's so noticeable is the lack of straws everywhere it's so noticeable like I cannot get on board with a paper soggy straw so I just I will go strawless from now on but they're nowhere you can't get plastic straws anywhere that's the way to do it they just totally. need to cut to them out yeah. I was in Ibiza a few weekends ago with a friend and she had a plastic straw and I hadn't seen one in such a long time <laughs> that I was like don't use it she was like well it's in my drink now I was like
like, yeah, but like, yeah. you need to just cut them out and like retrain your brain. Relic from the past. I keep getting yeah. straw judged in bars. Like, I love a straw. I mean, got my mm. business line sometimes in your straw. So I asked for a straw, obviously meaning a paper straw. And the bartender suddenly be like, we don't do straws anymore. <laughs> and like, I meant a paper one. In the so regular. you need to go to Thailand? Because my friend sent this brilliant Instagram post where she was with her cocktail in Thailand, which was a sort of hollowed out coconut, and then her straw was a piece of bamboo. Oh, bamboo yes. straws, that's what you need. So yes. maybe a little personal collection for you to take into bars. Bamboo, glass, stainless steel, and biodegradable paper are the best options. I like a glass straw. That's I've pretty got, fancy. That's quite fancy. Mm-hmm. I've got a stainless steel one on my desk. I got sent it, everyone. But because <laughs> you can't see into it, I don't know if you're cleaning it properly. See, like, my, I was cleaning it properly. my oh, glass yeah. straw had a bit of an issue with it. I have one when I did a juice cleanse. started drinking smoothies through it, and you need a proper cleaner because it started getting all kind of gunked up. Mm. And then I... A bit of mould. Yeah, it was quite yeah. disgusting. Yeah, straws are very uh, small yeah. to have to Yeah, clean you need one of those little pipe like cleaners. A pipe cleaner for a straw. So if you have a and straw, they can't be very environmentally friendly either, can they? So don't <laughs> maybe know straw that. cleaners are, are the new straws. Make <laughs> note to self: start a straw cleaning business. Well, we wrote a piece on all the small ways you can reduce your plastic consumption. So from things like saying no to straws, drinking tap water, and avoiding excess packaging, there are loads of really great ideas. I also love the idea of joining a litter cleanup club. There's an app called Litterati, and you can join people in your local community clearing up your neighbourhood. I think it sounds like something we should all be doing. We wrote a piece on broccoli coffee. Yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. This says, move over turmeric and matcha. Broccoli lattes are now on the menu as a part of a push to get people to up their vegetable intake. What it means is adding a new broccoli powder to your coffee so you can still reap the health benefits. This to me sounds disgusting. I have no interest in trying it. Like a lot of the health food fads that have been out there for a while, Rosie, all the things you know you're supposed to be eating and drinking, are there any that you actually just really hate? Well, broccoli coffee. <laughs> Reading the reviews of this what someone said, someone called it a cup of green milky mush. <sighs> One thing I do like, though, that other people describe as that is matcha. I do. I actually really like it. I don't know why. It's a very acquired taste. Mm. And not like the sweet ones, not like the Starbucks ones. Like the literally matcha powder oh, with some, some almond milk. I like like a matcha good. Like cake, but I feel like that's not really the same. It's good. Yeah. I <laughs> just, it sends me absolutely wild. Like the caffeine <laughs> hit is next like, level. Yeah. I had a matcha latte and then went and taped and I was literally off my head. <laughs> I was going around picking that. up all these things, like wanting to try them on. Love yeah. that. So, so I'm quite sensitive to caffeine. You are, yeah, like that's a, true. I don't even know what it is. Is it caffeine? It's like a yeah, it is, is it caffeine? Yeah. What well, matcha? Yeah, is there yeah, something yeah. else though? Because they said it's like a less jittery version. Like it doesn't make you. Yeah, I didn't feel jittery. I didn't. Like, yeah. Coffee I, makes me quite anxious. I, I didn't feel anxious. I hyper. Did you feel yeah. hyper? really hyper? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm very quick. And then you can massively crash. I know Tor's had that a few times where she's had matcha and then been like, whoa, this does not sit well with me. But the one I cannot stand, though, is turmeric. I've tried oh. so hard to like it. But firstly, because I've got Invisalign on, it stains my teeth mm. and my braces. Luminous yellow. Like, <laughs> luminous. Even if I take them out mm. and then put them back in afterwards, they still went yellow and I have to wear them for a week. Yes. And I just don't know. It has a strange aftertaste. They can't get on board with, but they're everywhere now. Every cafe yeah. seems to be doing them. It's true. I just don't really get the whole thing about turmeric latte. Like, I get cooking with it. Same with broccoli. Like, it's one thing to put these things in your curries or your dinners, but why drink it in a coffee? Like, have a coffee if you want a coffee. Georgina, what do you really hate? Oh, so once I thought it would be a good idea to drink gallons of aloe vera juice. Mm. Oh, my God. It was absolutely disgusting. It was meant to help with my digestion. It just made me feel really sick mm. all the time. And then spirulina. So I've oh, made some God. really nice 
nice juices in my Nutribullet and then made the mistake of adding spirulina, which has made them just so unpalatable. I've yeah. had to then chuck them. It's, it's a bit disgusting. of like grassy. And it overpowers everything you use with it. Yeah. Only taste then of oh, spirulina. It's like a seaweedy, <laughs> algae. Just, it, it oh, does taste God, like I don't know. Yeah. That or aloe vera, they're both pretty much a joint <laughs> bottom of the list. I used to take spirulina supplements for a bit and I had to stop because they would just, you'd swallow them and you think you got rid of the taste, but then it kind of Come like repeat on you and you just like <laughs> oh my Jesus Christ it was so horrible <laughs> well uh, the one thing that I can't stand and this might be quite controversial is coconut water for, or coconut oil for the exact same reason that everything tastes of coconut oil I don't understand when it became a viable alternative to olive oil because if you're cooking with it then it makes all your food taste of coconut and if yeah. you don't like the taste of coconut then why would you want every dish you eat to be that flavour I'm totally with you it's like there's a time and a place for coconut oil yes. but yeah, like, I'm not, you can't fry it your bacon up no thank you oil. quite nice in a curry or something that yeah, yeah. Stuff, otherwise it's, it's not a good thing yeah, yeah I completely agree and I also hate kale I really hate kale I like kale. spinach I like rocket but I hate the texture of kale although people are saying that kale isn't actually that good for you it's one of the dirty dozen the dirty dozen I think it's because it grows from the ground like a cabbage would and it's so mass produced now most of it is like full of chemicals wow. so you have yeah. to get organic and you don't peel it or anything like so like carrots you peel so you get a lot of those toxins off them but kale you just kind of give a rinse that is so interesting yeah, it's um, coined the dirty oh, dozen well Check I'll use that as my excuse next time you know what I do love though is sauerkraut yes like, and, that is the best and the kimchi fermented mm. food yeah. anything kind of pickled, pickled is yeah. so good Yeah. another health fad that I absolutely love is green juices I know lots of people don't like green juices but I genuinely love them I'd rather have like a really green you know like Roman lettuce, kale, all the green stuff over a sweet, horrible juice any day. Mm-hmm. And it does make you feel, well, it might be a total placebo, but you feel so much like better and stronger. So and virtuous. Yeah, have one. So virtuous. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I think a lot of places are still making them too sweet, though. Like, if you go into most chains, they'll have, like, a green juice, and then it's, like, 50% oh, apple yeah. juice. Oh, yeah. 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 They're, they're, proper, they're bullshit, those yeah. Proper veg. Although, I cannot have ones with broccoli in. It just shouldn't be in a juice. Yeah. I feel but, like maybe we need to put the whole broccoli in beverages thing to bed. To bed. Yeah. Well, it was a nice try by agricultural group Hort Innovation and Australian Government Science Agency CSIRO. I mean, the more I'm reading about this, I think this is a pretty... Uh, I don't think we're going to be seeing this at Starbucks anytime soon. <laughs> Let's finish by talking about interiors. Rosie, you've just moved house and I'm in the process of a mini interiors revamp. So has anyone got any top tips yes. for sprucing up the house? I'm in need of some tips right now. Oh, right. That's very bare and very white. Well, if you want to change the white, I have used a company called the Paint and Paper Library who do, as you would imagine, paint and wallpaper. (laughs) And they were very helpful. They came round and obviously this was a peak grey. So I said please come and help me, I want to paint something grey. And they suggested from their palettes of many greys, which were the right ones according to whether your room faces north or south, whether you've got overhead lights or spotlights, pendants, all kind of different things, whatever the floor looks like. And rather than having to go down the route of getting full interior design service and the many thousands that that might be and time, it's just one appointment and they come over and they just help you work out what you need. I think Farrah and Ball do it as well. There might be more, but those are the two that I know about. That's genius. That is genius, because yeah. I've heard that Farron Ball's paints, the same shade can look completely different in two different rooms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's the case for yeah. all paint, right? Yeah. That the minute you paint it on, Well, and the same room at different times of day. Yes, yeah. so true. Mm-hmm. I am in a rut. I'm desperate for a dark 
green wool like I've seen it all over Pinterest like it's time I really really want it but I just don't have a wool that I can see it working on so if there are any interior designers out there do you have a hallway yeah it could work in my hallway but my hallway is very dark and narrow people are scared of putting really dark colors in dark rooms Mm. but actually it can well I don't know I'm not an interior designer (laughs) but when we did our week with Monique if you remember we did a little interiors piece with her and she just painted her hallway this like gorgeous very farron ball-esque sage kind of green Ooh, so not too that. too dark no, that's not that dark there was yeah. like a bit of light and warmth to it and then she had some incredible like palm prints and um, I, I think that. she had some like zodiac prints which is really staircase? cool no it's a flat so you yeah. came in but I think a staircase would be fine I don't know give it a go get some testers yeah because mm-hmm. I've got a staircase is what my hallway leads into a staircase but so do you think it's too much then do you, like a sage the whole way like the whole way through the hallway and up the staircase well, I think that's where you need the experts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so well, I don't know why I'm asking <laughs> Well, anyway, I've been, I'm also on a mission to create a gallery wall, so I've been on Etsy. I mean, Etsy is just the most ridiculously good resource. I bought something like nine different paintings and sketches and pictures for under £100 in total. So I think that's amazing. The only thing I have to do now is find some frames to put them in. So framing is really expensive. If you go down the professional framing route, it's super expensive. So it kind of feels a bit counteractive to buy a couple of quid print from Etsy and then then spend hundreds of pounds getting it framed. If you do want to go down the high street route, I've found that Habitat frames are much better than IKEA frames. Okay. They're like actually glass. I mean, IKEA is fine, but yeah. I think if you want to make like a real grown up, sophisticated gallery wall, check out Habitat. And John Lewis. John Lewis as well. Yeah. I want to do a mix, like not all identical frames as well. So yeah. White Company as well, actually. Well, That's a good one. That's a good mm-hmm. idea. Talking of Etsy, there is an amazing and very affordable shop on there called Green Lily. It's a UK-based store, spelt green, L-I-L-I. And they do amazing, affordable prints. Um, we actually have some in our Sherlock Show studio. Is that where they're from? Yeah. The planty ones. Yeah. I love Yeah, they're really prints. nice. I mean, they're so affordable and definitely worth checking out. I have a question. Can you put prints in a bathroom? Definitely. Because I was worried maybe they'd get kind of like steamed or ruined, but... I have one in a bathroom. You just need to keep your extractor fan on. Yeah. That's all. I really want a wallpaper a bathroom. Do you? And yeah, and you can do that. If you, you can, can do that, oh, then, then you, you can, can do that. You can paint. Yeah, exactly. I want a painted ceiling. We did a piece, I think it was a while ago on the site, about statement painted ceilings. Mm-hmm. And some of them look really pretty pastel pink or like jacket blue on the ceiling of a bathroom. It can look so cool. So nice. But did you see in the style this weekend, it said like, you know, they do their barometer of like things that are cool and they said that pink walls are going down and it was something like are you still doing this? Get a I, like, oh, I haven't got there yet I really want a pink wall. <laughs> <laughs> so. I think with the ceilings though sorry to go back to the ceilings you have to have the height yes, you can't have you like a, a new build yes. low ceiling and then just paint it millennial <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to look okay. Well we did an interview with Tara Bernard one of Britain's leading interior designers um, and also on the Sherlock show recently we did an interiors Q&A with top interiors Salverson Graham so we're a pretty handy resource these days in interiors tips, aren't we? I think that's it for this week. If you enjoyed that, please do rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends and we'll see you next time.